you have your Bibles for just a few moments tonight, going to direct you to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Thankful to have my brother here tonight again. Not very often that he gets to be in with us, but I'm thankful when he is here. I almost called him and said, this is what I, I want you to preach about tonight. <laughs> but I didn't do that, so I'm going to try to preach about it. But once when I, it's been eating on me for days, and when I finally tried to get my hand around it, I found out it was too big. I just couldn't do it. So we're going to drive around town tonight. If you don't know what that means, just hang on. You'll find out before service is over. I hope that you will leave here with something in your heart that will make a difference in your tomorrow and in your future. Galatians chapter 2. I want to begin reading with verse number 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And he goes on into chapter 3 to talk to the Galatians about a misconception about grace. I want to... Direct your attention to the 20th verse, and I want to read a few parts of that to just underscore in your mind. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Everybody say, nevertheless, I live. And then it says, and the life which I now live. Everybody say that with me. And the life which I now live, the life that I now live in my flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate 
the grace of God. Now, I don't know what a good title for my subject tonight would be, but what I'd like to talk to you about is living the best life. Living the blessed life. Say that with me. Living the best life Living the blessed life. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just a reminder to all of you that simultaneous with our time here, our children are having service tonight. And so we encourage you to bring your children early. If you uh, have to stop by to get something to eat, we're even going to start providing them a little snack. So you don't have to be delayed in getting to church to help you a little more accommodating for your needs on Wednesday night. Young people are having service as well. And we're here. And everybody said amen. Life, L-I-F-E, is a powerful subject. Not only is it a powerful, deep, probing subject. When the word itself is used, the word speaks to us of many things. One of those in particular is possibilities. When we talk about life, we are talking about possibilities, what can be, what is available. But not only are we speaking about possibilities, we are speaking about destiny, that What we are involved in is an ongoing process and we are headed somewhere and our life is taking us somewhere. I think most of you would agree that we live in a a crazy time. We live in a bizarre age. I, I, I don't know that there is a good definition for the times in which we now live, but they are, to say the least, crazy, crazy, crazy. Amen. Not only are they crazy, but they're chaotic. And when I I look at the times in which we live and the chaotic state of affairs, my my mind wants to know what, what has created this chaos. And you say, well, brother, I know what caused it. Sin caused it. Well, that's true, but, but why is there such confusion and such turmoil in the day in which we live? And I think most of us would readily agree, or at least I, I think you would, that part of the chaos that we see in life right now is because we live in a very fluid world where change happens by the second, not by the day. I mean, it's like you wake up in the morning and what was good at 8 o'clock is not good at 12 o'clock. The stock exchange is a good example of that. We wake up in the morning and what we thought was right by the middle of the day, we don't know if it is or not. 
And there are changes taking place everywhere. And in the midst of this change, there has come, uh, I don't know if it's because of frustration or if it's because we feel like there are unnecessary weights and burdens upon our life and, and we're just trying to simplify life and make it easier to live. But in the process of all of this changing chaotic time, a lot of folks are casting things off. They are getting rid of what they consider to be baggage and excess things and unnecessary things. And changes are happening so quickly. We don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I've, I've tried to tell people that some of the things that we're going through right now and some of the adjustments that are being made in our lives, we're not going to know for another two or three years whether that was a good thing or, or not. That's why we need to be very careful when we go to making changes in our life that we don't throw out the, the wrong thing. You, you don't throw away the foundation even though you may want to rebuild the structure, you still have to have some kind of foundation to build on. And last Wednesday night, I attempted feebly to uh, talk to you about some foundational issues and the fact that God likened us to a building and we're all in the process of building something on the foundation. But when I look at the bigger picture and I, I look at life, I think all of us are interested tonight in living successful uh, lives. I, I think all of us are interested in living what we would consider a victorious life. Uh, no one wants to be unhappy. Nobody enjoys being frustrated all the time. Nobody really enjoys dealing with depression that sometimes comes. I don't think anybody really enjoys struggling with anger or emptiness or any number of other conditions that could describe the human experience that many people are going through right now. Nobody wants to be a failure in life and yet there are a lot of people that feel right now, maybe even here tonight, you feel a, a sense of failure in some, in some ways because life has not turned out the way that you thought it should turn out. And it's not gone the way you thought it was going to go. And so there are a lot of things that frustrate us. But we all, I, I, I think I speak for everybody. I, I hope I am. I hope I'm not talking to anybody here that loves being depressed. I hope I'm not preaching to people that have gotten to the place where they just love being mad all the time. I hope I'm not talking to anybody that loves being unhappy, although I've seen some folks that seem to relish it. They, they would rather be unhappy than anything, but... I, don't, I think all of us, we hunger for that satisfied, fulfilled, happy, at peace, secure kind of life that, that the Bible indicates should be ours. 
And the big question that comes is how, how do we find this happy, fulfilled, satisfied life? What's the formula that will give us this blessed life, this good life? And I, I feel like there are some points in our text that can help us. I thought it was interesting when I got to looking at it. The word life is a four-letter word. Four-letter word. It's very short. It's not complex. But it doesn't mean it's not complicated. L-I-F-E. Only four letters. When you take three-fourths of those letters, it spells Lie, L-I-E. When you take half of those letters, it spells if, I-F. So the question that came to my mind was, how do we keep life from being either a lie or a question? How, how do we keep life from falling down into the gutter? And becoming frustrating and aggravating and disturbing and destructive. How do we keep life from becoming nothing but a lie or an untruth or deceit? How do we keep life from becoming an if, a question, a doubt, an uncertainty, and I don't know. How, how do we keep life in focus? And how do we keep life on a path that will take us to a desired destiny so that we don't wake up one morning and realize that we've gotten somewhere but we don't like where we are? You have to be careful that life doesn't lose its meaning and life can very easily do that. Paul talked about the life that I now live. And certainly that statement contrasts the fact that there is another way of living. There's another way of going about life. The lie or the question, the deceit or the doubt. There is a possibility that you can live and breathe and you can be in existence on the earth. But you're not living life to God's design specifications and you are not enjoying life to its fullest. And so he contrasts the life that I now live. So obviously there was a way that he lived that was not producing what he is now enjoying. And so in, in a few verses, in just a matter of a few simple words, Paul lays out what I believe are four obvious foundational components of a blessed life. And they are the foundational components of every human building a life that will stand and endure and last no matter what life throws at you. There are four things that Paul alludes to here in our scripture text that become the foundation and they become the bedrock of our spiritual lives so that life does not degenerate to a lie. It doesn't degenerate to some kind 
of deception, some kind of smoke and mirror where we put a facade on and we smile, but behind that curtain is chaos and confusion. Or if it's not that, it's that life that's filled with fear and doubt and uncertainty and we don't know, we're not sure, we don't have any solid ground to stand on. Paul said there is a life that produces that. There's a life that you can live that will result either in doubt or fear or question or uncertainty or it will result in deceit and deception or there's a life that you can discover that is what God intended life to be, a destination and a place that will take you to your great possibilities as a human being. And everybody said amen. So what are those four basic components that Paul alludes to? And I'm going to take you on a very short but quick journey tonight through Paul's statements again. Verse 19, Paul said, For though the law, for through the law am I dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. So the first component of a solid foundation in life that will help me become what God said I can become is something called truth. T-R-U-T-H. Everybody say it with me. Truth. Truth. You cannot build your life on a lie or a falsehood and expect that life to stand the storms of life. There has to be a foundational truth that becomes the anchor of your life. And Paul said the foundational anchor that I have found is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life. He did not say I am a way. He did not say I am a truth. He did not say I am a life. He said I am the, the one and only. There is no life outside of me. And you have to start with that foundation. You're not going to find what you're looking for anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation that you and I can find. You cannot be saved except through him. And so that becomes part of the foundation is truth. You, you have to embrace that which is right uh, a standard has to be set up in your life that will delineate between right and wrong, between true and false. And so it begins with truth. He's not a answer to my life. He is the answer to my life. 
Amen. He's not a way for my life. He is the way for my life. And the reason that I'm saying that is because as much as we know about that, many people, perhaps even some here tonight, are trying to make their way through life with Jesus as an option, not as the center of their life. And he cannot be the Lord of your life if he is not Lord of all of your life. You cannot bring him in as, as some kind of cure-all when everything goes to pieces. He's got to be there all the time. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King. He is my one and only love and devotion. He is my all in all. And so a blessed life begins with truth. You have to embrace truth. You have to acknowledge that there is truth and there is error. And that's something that seems to be lacking in our world today. There is no desire for absolutes any longer. We want abstracts. Well, Brother Hughes, you have to understand my circumstances. You have to understand where I'm coming from. You know what? God understands all of that about us. But there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's truth. It is unchangeable. It is unalterable. And that's what you measure your life by. You don't measure your life by the things that change, the fads, the trends, what's good now is not good later. I mean, my Lord, in my lifetime, I've seen skinny ties, wide ties, all kind of ties, women that wore certain type dresses and they got away from that and now they're going back. I remember when mini skirts first came in and now they're back. And if you base your life on trends, that's exactly what you get is this roller coaster depending on the emotion. But Jesus Christ said, I'm going to give you something better than an emotion. I'm going to give you a foundation of righteousness that you can build your life on. And when you do, you don't have to worry about the changes of life. You've got an anchor that is secure that will not falter. Everybody say truth. You need to buy the truth and sell it not. You need to understand that there really are rights and wrongs. There really is good and bad. There really is a heaven and a hell. Amen. I said amen. So Brother Hughes, that doesn't sound too good. And I know there are churches that don't use that terminology anymore. They don't, put, they, they don't have blood uh, in their songbooks because that's offensive and they don't talk about heaven or hell because that's too close to where people live. You know, whether I like it or not doesn't change the truth. Whether I like what it says or not, doesn't it doesn't alter what God said. My problem or my responsibility is not to debate whether it's right or wrong. My responsibility is to line myself up with it and say, I want the blessing that comes from this truth. I want what results from this kind of life. I want to live my life based on truth, not error. Amen. Everybody say love the truth. The Bible said John 17, 7, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So this word right here is worth investing your life in. 
Amen. It's worth giving yourself to. It needs to be more than just something that you sit on your coffee table and you get out ever so often. It needs to be the guiding force behind all that you do because that truth will triumph over every falsehood and every lie that is being told. Everybody say truth. The second thing that Paul refers to in our passage as a foundational issue is faith. Faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. It is the fact that you believe something. That you hold something dear. I know whom I have believed, Paul said. And because I know whom I have believed, I know who I can trust. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then he goes on to tell me that without faith, it is impossible to please him. You cannot please God without having a belief system in your life. There has to be something in your life that you can go back to that is, that, that is based upon truth and that is, is the hope and the center of your life and that is faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. I believe that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just some creed that I, 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 I repeat, but it's something that I embrace in my belief system. He is the answer to all of my problems. And so my life has to be governed by faith, not my feelings, not my emotions, not even necessarily by facts because facts sometimes are misleading or at least what we consider to be facts. There is an element and a dimension of living that goes beyond feelings and it goes beyond facts and it dwells in the realm where God dwells and that's faith. And with faith, nothing shall be impossible. With faith, there are things that come into the realm of possibility in my life that cannot come in any other avenue. Faith. Everybody say faith. Read Hebrews 11 again and see what faith empowered men to do. By faith, Noah moved with fear, building an ark for the saving of his family. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with his people than the pleasure of sin for a season. The Bible said by faith, they were empowered by that faith. They were enabled by that faith. That faith, that concept of belief is what sustained them when everything else around them was falling apart. So not only do you need truth in your life, you've got to have faith in your life. Two very important principles. The third thing that Paul mentions here in verse number 20 is love. He said, I live this life 
of faith by the Son of God who loved me. Everybody say, he loved me. He loved me. He loved me so that I could know how to love him. Love becomes a constraining force in our life. I know I'm going somewhere, so please don't rule me, don't turn me off yet. We live in a world that is consumed with the concept of God's love. And God's love is so great and so mighty that it eliminates a lot of the unsavory things about uh, living for God that we don't like to address, like separation and holiness and a lifestyle that is indicative of an overcomer. But because love covers everything, love has become an excuse for doing whatever we want to do. But love is not an excuse. Love is the motivator. Love is what compels me to do what I do. Love is what constrains me. Love is what puts its arms around me and said, this is what you ought to do, not because you have to, but because you love me. Amen. The motivating factor behind all that I do has to be love. By this, Jesus said, shall all men know that you are my disciples. What governs my affections? It should be the love of God. What governs my emotions, it should be the love of God. What is the root of all of my actions, it should be out of a love for God. Why do I do what I do? I do it because I love him. Everybody say, I love him. Do you love him tonight? I love him. I love him. My wife and I have been married for 38 years. I got that right. And we signed a contract when we got married. By the state of Texas, it's still in effect. By the authority of the state of Texas, we were pronounced husband and wife. But you know what? She has never, nor have I ever, drugged that out and said, now this is why you're living with me. Because you signed a contract. I live with her because I love her. And you know what? That love for her has made me do? Change some of my nasty habits. Maybe not all of them, but some. And I'm still working on those others. I didn't change because I had a contract. She reminded me every morning I got up, okay, now, you, you better fix this. That's not what kept me doing those. That's not what motivated me to do that. I did that because I loved her. Love is the greatest motivating force in all of the world. Love is the most powerful force to get people to do things. And so we, we have to be uh, in love with him. You, you have to have a dimension of love in your spiritual life or you will always do things for the wrong reason. So everybody say love. 
You've got to have love. That's part of the foundation of a blessed life is love. It governs your affections. It governs your emotions. It governs your actions. What I do, I do because I love him. I don't do it because if I don't do it, he's going to beat me up. Although there are repercussions for not obeying the word of God. I mean, that's, that's just a simple truth. But that's not why I do what I do. I do it because I love him. This is what I've discovered about people, especially spirit-filled people. We fall in love with an experience, but we never fall in love with the giver of the experience. We love what the Holy Ghost does to us. The chills, the, the emotions, the, the, all of those things that we feel when the presence of God, we love that. But we never go far enough to fall in love with the one who gave us that. And so life is built on that emotional roller coaster. And if you feel good, you're great. If you don't feel good, you're in trouble. But you know what? I found a levelizer in my life, if that's a word. I don't think it is, but I just made one. I found something that levels life out, and that is when you really fall in love with him, it makes that experience so much sweeter and so much more real in your life. And you enjoy it so much deeper because you know where it's coming from. It's coming from somebody that loved me so much that he would give himself for me. For God so loved the world that he gave. <laughs> I'm so thankful that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. And I want love to be the motivating factor behind all that I do. But let me give you the fourth one. And this is where I'm going to spend a little more time before I let you go. The fourth component of, of a blessed life are rules. Everybody say rules. R-U-L-E-S. Rules. And you say, Brother Hughes, now, I don't get that out of there. Where, where, where do you get rules out of that? He talked about grace and he talked about the law. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm not bound by that law any longer. But you didn't hear what he said in verse 21. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I've often wondered what frustrates the grace of God. What is it that I could do in my life that would really aggravate God's spirit? And that's what the word frustrate indicates, aggravate God's spirit. What could aggravate the grace, the unmerited favor of God? God doing everything he did because he loved me. I don't have to do anything to earn it. I don't have to do anything to receive it. It's free. The grace of God is free to all of us. But what could I do that would agitate God so much that he would inspire Paul to write these words, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And this is what I have come to learn. What frustrates the grace of God are people 
that think that they can have faith and truth and love, but no rules to their life. No boundaries. That's what frustrates the love of God. That's what frustrates the grace of God, I should say. And here's what has gotten me late. I, I, I understand that just the other day, and, and I'm not trying to be a reactionary preacher tonight, but I do want to confront error. And it was, there was a man preached just recently in our, our city, and I was made aware of it just the other day. He preached about the rich young ruler who came to the Lord and he, um, he came asking the Lord about what do I do to inherit eternal life? And the master said, well, you keep the law. And he is, his first reaction was, I've done all of these things from my youth. And then Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. And the statement was made, and I made it last week, so I want to clarify, I want to go a step further. Last week, I said, that it's not about rules, it's about regulation, I mean, about relationship. Anybody remember me saying that? It's not about rules, it's about that the Ten Commandments are a covenant that God made with Israel. That if you'll let me be your God and you'll be my people, this is, this is how this relationship's going to work. And so it's not about rules, it's about relationship. And this gentleman went on to say, that that's why he got away from certain denominational beliefs is because it was all about rules and no relationship. And he said the problem with this rich young ruler was he had all the rules, but he never had a relationship with God. Now, he didn't say this, but the implication was that you don't have to have rules to have a relationship. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Does that apply to your marriage? You don't have to have rules to have a relationship? How many of you wives would be happy to live with your husband if he had no rules to live by? He could go shack up with any other woman he wanted to. He could cheat anytime he wanted to. How many of you would be willing to let him come back into your house You see, the fallacy of the teaching of this age is that we are overburdened with rules and rules are not God's desire for our life. Rules are just regulations that burden you down and they weight you down and it's law and, it, and we're living under grace and grace is free. You don't do anything to earn grace. You didn't do anything to merit God's favor. You got that free and I agree. You didn't do anything to deserve it. But let me tell you this. If you're gonna have a relationship with God, there's gonna have to be some rules that regulate that relationship or you do not have a relationship with God. Amen. So it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. Try to put yourself right with God by the things that you do is impossible. I understand that. I understand that you cannot legislate your way to righteousness. You cannot be made perfect by doing things of the law. You, you cannot... You cannot live a holy enough life. You cannot speak the, 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 a holy enough 
word. You, you can't do that in yourself. But that doesn't mean there are no rules involved. Laws are not about winning grace. Listen to me. God gave me this. I want to I give it to you. Laws are not about winning grace. Laws are about obeying grace. What did Paul say in Titus 2? Now the grace of God that appeared to all men, that appeared to you, it's come to all of us. He said the grace of God teaches us. What does grace teach? Tear down the fence. Don't have any boundaries. You can do whatever you want to do. What, is, what does Paul say? The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present evil. Now somebody explain this to me. How does grace nullify living by certain rules? It doesn't. Laws do not make you right. They just show you what is right. Relationship is impossible without rules. You cannot have a relationship without rules. You can't have a relationship without certain parameters. A rule is a principle that governs my behavior. And it governs my behavior not because I'm afraid, but because I love. Because I love her. There's certain things I will not do to her. Because I love her, there are certain things that I will not do because it will violate that relationship that I want with her. And so it is with God. We don't come to God and receive the grace of God and say, well, we don't need rules around here. We don't need regulations. We're under grace. We can live free. We can do whatever we want to do. You cannot have a relationship without some kind of governing rule. The key to successful living is to not do away with rules, but to never let your rules degenerate to mere rules but let them be the outgrowth of your love for God. The reason I don't go some places is not because I just can't go, but I don't want to go. I don't want to offend him. I would not want him to feel uncomfortable with me going into that atmosphere. That, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go to hell for doing that. It just means there's some places I don't want to go with him. And if I can't go with him, I don't need to go at all. Amen. You see, rules are needed for order. Everybody say order. Rules are needed for civility. Rules are needed because they help create a safe environment. They exist because they have the power to influence and teach us how to live the best life. Amen. Rules don't stop me from being anything. They empower me and enable me to be something. Amen. 
If you want to live a blessed life, then this is where it starts. Truth, faith, love, rules. You can't live successfully without those four things. Amen. Thank God for boundaries. Thank God for, for, for safeguards. Amen. Let's stand together. There are just some things in life that I choose not to do, not because of legalism, not because the church teaches that, but because my love dictates that. My love for him, my love for him, to please him, to serve him, to give to him what he deserves defines certain boundaries in my life. And so I want a relationship with him, yes, but I cannot have a relationship without rules. You, you, you just can't have it. Can you imagine what life would have been like on the way to church tonight if there had been no rules But that's what our world is being taught. That's what religion is teaching people right now. Is that grace is freedom from law. No ma'am. No sir. Grace is not freedom from law. Grace is the freedom to fulfill that law in your life. Amen. And the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Amen. You know what, church? I, I'm not looking for how little I can do to get by. I want to know, God, is there anything else that I can do that would make you happy, that would please you? You've done so much for me. I'm not trying to see how little I can do and get by or get in. I just want to live close enough to Him and I want to love Him the way he deserves my love to be given so that that love in itself would create a boundary in my life. Amen. I may could go down that road, but I'm not going because I'm his. Amen. I'm his. I'm his. I've told you the story before, but I want to tell you again. Minister friend was in the state of Alabama when they pull into a gas station to fill up and in beside them on the other aisle pull this guy with a trailer and on that trailer was this, I believe it was a trailer, was this immaculate, I mean immaculate antique car. And they were so, they were impressed by it and so when they got through fueling up, they just walked around it, just eyeing it. Just, oh man, the paint job was perfect. There were no scratches or dings. Finally, the gentleman that owned it came back by and they asked him, sir, do you drive this in? He said, oh yeah, drive it all over the place. You do? Yeah. He said, well, how do you keep it from 
getting all these dings and scratches in it. He looked back and said, well, there are just some roads this car doesn't go down. Not that it couldn't, but he said, I just made up my mind that I want to keep it in this condition. And I come to realize a long time ago, I might could get by with it, but there's a chance, and I don't want to take that chance. Amen. Folks, we don't need people telling us that we don't need rules in our life. We need, to, we need people telling us that we need to fall in love with Him. And when you fall in love with Him, a rule becomes part of a relationship. friend of mine owns a lot of guns. I mean a lot of guns. He told me a while back, he said, I don't live with my wife because of all the arsenal that's in my house. He said, I live with her because I love her. And you know what? That's, that's true about all of us. You don't have to do what you're doing. But if you ever fall in love with him, it makes living for him so much easier. Amen. Praise God. Listen, church, listen to me. There is no relationship without rule. So when I say to you that God's wanting a relationship, not a rule, I don't want you to misunderstand that, well, you just throw the rules out. We don't have to live, we don't have to govern our life. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to be, we don't have to be legalistic. That's not what I meant. What I meant was just what I said. We need a relationship that make the rules make sense. Amen. And if you don't ever get the relationship, the rules are always going to be a question mark. They're going to be that if. Life's going to be that if. And then there's other people that they make life a lie. I don't want to live like that either. I want to live life, L-I-F-E, to its fullest. I want abundant life. I want overflowing life. Ah, you know what, folks? I, I'm telling you, I am enjoying the time of my life right now. Why? Because when you love him and you know him and you trust him, you know this much. He ain't ever going to do you anything but good. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah.